uh, two weeks ago, I preached a sermon that was entitled, No Room in the Inn. And in that message, I endeavored to show that every detail of the birth of Jesus, even the seemingly negative things like no room in the inn and being laid in a manger, were all planned by God. What I also tried to tell you was that nothing at that first Christmas happened by accident. All of it fit into God's plan to bring salvation to the world. But much of it did not make sense to the people involved at that time, to Joseph or Mary or anyone else. Some of you know that these messages get posted online. There are several different places where you could go on the World Wide Web and listen to these messages, and people, believe it or not, pretty much all over the world, which surprises me, listen. One man who heard this message took time to write me a short note via email. He said, after listening to your sermon, I came to this conclusion. If Joseph and Mary had waited a month, or Caesar had decreed a month later, Jesus would likely have been born in an inn, and the room arrangement would have been solved in man's eyes. Isn't it amazing how God works stuff out in his time when the worst looks like the best there is? But you know, that's not the end of it. I sent him back a short email, and I said, Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. And then I got back this email. Here's part of what he said. Just a note to let you know that you picked your sermon last Sunday just for me. I can remember spending one Christmas in Vietnam on a riverboat, and believe me, it wasn't good. However, this year, hands down, is the worst year I've ever had, with health problems and waiting on a new job. Before the last two weeks, it was doom and gloom. So why the change? It was your sermon. Joseph didn't have much of a Christmas either. I had heard that Christmas story a zillion times, and it took this year, a year of disaster, to wake me up. So when you're wondering why you picked that sermon to write, you did it for me, and I thank you. The God of all circumstances, if that's not encouragement, then I don't know what it is. You know, sometimes I looked at that and I thought, you know, sometimes... We don't appreciate the really good news. We don't appreciate the good things in life until we can somehow see it on the backdrop of bad news. Sometimes it takes a year of disaster like this guy undoubtedly had to wake us up to the goodness of God. But see, the coming of Jesus into this world is the best news that this world has ever heard. But having heard it so many times, we may just kind of let our mind wonder as the pastor even reads that story from Luke chapter 2 and wonder to ourselves, I wonder what we're having for lunch today. (laughs) Sometimes we just plain simple drift from the message we've heard so many times. Well, this morning I'm going to focus on the Christmas story, but I'm not going to focus on the entire Christmas story, but rather just one verse. And it's the verse that brings us, I think, to the very heart of Christmas. It's verse 11, where it says the following, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, if you look at those verses, you'll probably see, or maybe could see, that there are about four parts to this, 
Each one teaches us something very important about why Christ came to this earth and what his coming means to each of us. Let's take a look at part one. Well, part one is the prophecy of his coming. And I want you to notice a little phrase. I underlined it for you. Born this day in the city of David. Now, notice that the city of David was not Jerusalem, even though it was David who founded that city and declared it to be his city. But the city of David was Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem is an Arab town under Palestinian control. But when Jesus was born, it was a tiny little Jewish community. In modern-day Bethlehem is a bustling, busy town filled with a lot of people who are basically there because of tourism uh, when there isn't a war going on. And the most important site in all of Bethlehem, of course, is the Church of the Holy Nativity, which is right at the center of the city. It's built on what a lot of people consider to be the traditional birth site of Jesus. It's one of the oldest churches that you can find in the Holy Land. It was constructed about 1,700 years ago. They built on it and built around it and restored it many times over. Back in 1865, a man by the name of Philip Brooks visited the Holy Land at Christmas time. He wandered through the streets of Bethlehem, and when he got home, he wrote a song. And he gave it to his choir director, who set it to music, and in 1867, they sang these words. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Now he wrote that because that's exactly the way Bethlehem was almost 150 years ago. It was just a sleepy little village. Now Bethlehem is called the city of David because that's where David grew up, and along with his seven brothers. In fact, it was David who probably was tending sheep outside of that city when God called him, just like the shepherds were there the night when God called again. There's another fact you ought to know about Bethlehem. 700 years, that's a seven with two zeros behind, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah predicted this would be where Jesus would be born. He said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, that prophecy of the coming of the Lord, 700 years B.C., Bethlehem was a tiny, little, inconsequential village. No one would have ever put it in the top ten vacation spots in Israel. If you went there, you'd found a few houses, and that would be about it. When Jesus was born, Bethlehem was still off the beaten track. But the Jews knew that this was where the Messiah was to be born. In fact, maybe you remember part of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi, the wise men as we call them, came to Herod in Jerusalem. They said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, we've come to worship him. So what does Herod do? He gathers all of his theology councils together, and he asks them the same question. I've heard there's a king of the Jews to be born. Where is he supposed to be born? And they said, oh, no-brainer. Uh, in the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it says he's going to be born in that little jerkwater town that's about six, seven, eight miles uh, south of us. So they knew that 700 years before, 
Christ would be born. There was absolutely no secret about it. That's why when I, I read this story, and I, I read through it any number of times during the Christmas season, I've always been kind of fascinated by a few facts. One thing that's always kind of intrigued me is that even though the Magi suddenly show up in Jerusalem, even though all of the Bible scholars in Jerusalem knew exactly that the baby was to be born in a town six or seven miles south, as far as we know, not a one of those theologians decided to go down and check it out. These intellectual people were totally indifferent to the birth of Christ. And as a result, they missed out on the most important event in world history, just plain simple because they could not be bothered. Now, when we read about the city of David, we should remember that Jesus was born in fulfillment of a prophecy 700 years earlier. It should remind us that knowledge alone is never enough to save us. It's not what you know, but what you do with what you know that makes the difference. Here's part two of the story. The reality of his coming. The angel says unto you is born this day in the city of David. Just think about those three words for a moment. Born this day. They tell us about something that happened in Bethlehem that was nothing less than the birth of the Son of God. I want you to think about a couple of truths this morning. The first is that there were absolutely no miracles associated with the physical birth of Jesus. You know that there was no, no, no miracle connected with his birth. And even though we think about it as the virgin birth, it's important to remember that the real miracle actually took place when? Nine months before when the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, overshadowed Mary with the result that even though she was a virgin, became pregnant. That was an enormous miracle because that had never been done before, and it's never been done again. So for centuries, 2,000 years now, the virgin birth of Jesus has been considered a foundational doctrine of Christians. Matthew and Luke plainly uh, ascribe the conception of Jesus to the Holy Spirit. Matthew uses phrases like, through the Holy Spirit and from the Holy Spirit. Luke, who is a doctor, says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What does that mean? Answer? I haven't got the vaguest idea. I've had people ask me about this. It's kind of a funny story, in a way. Uh, a young man who belonged to the second church I was at, uh, the very first Sunday when I was there, he walked out. He shook my hand and he says, I'm Jewish, don't get excited. I'm only here because my little girl nags me into coming. Oh, well, welcome to you too. Well, this Jewish man, uh, who was a CPA for a big accounting firm, Ernst & Young, every week his little girl would trot down and sit in the very front row. And he would sit there like that. But after a couple of years, his father-in-law called and said, Would you mind meeting with Greg? He has some questions. And I said, Sure, come on in. And Greg came in with this big yellow legal pad loaded with questions. Questions like, Why are you Germans so hung up on Jews? Who are these disciples you keep talking about? Any questions like that. But he finally says, i got one more question, and I mean no disrespect here. He said, but let me get this right. 
Mary was a virgin. I said, yeah. And it says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. I said, okay. And she became pregnant as a result of that overshadowing. I said, okay. He says, here's my question. Did she enjoy that? <laughs> well, I have no answer for that question. But I did go back and I looked up that word overshadow because I was curious. And in the Greek language, it just means of a direct personal presence of God. I mean, what's the, you have to ask yourself, what's the significance of Jesus being begotten of the Holy Spirit? Well, very simply this, since Jesus was born of Mary, that makes him truly human. But since he was conceived through the Holy Spirit, we know that he's more than a man. So that baby in the manger was fully God and yet fully man at the same time. It was deity and humanity joined together. Now, following that miraculous conception, Mary's pregnancy... I'm going to go back to the point where this is completely normal, no miracles involved. Her pregnancy followed the normal course of all human pregnancies right down to that night in Bethlehem when she gives birth to a baby and lays him in a manger. And even though Luke the doctor gives us no details, we can safely assume that the delivery itself was normal in every way, or at least as normal as can be under those circumstances. Now, from time to time, we read about women having babies in some strange places, like in the backseat of a car or a taxi or an airplane or at the mall. Sometimes they're alone, sometimes attended by a very frightened husband. Now, such instances of those normal births occur in extraordinary circumstances. I think the birth of Jesus falls into that category. A true event that took place in a normal way in abnormal situations. The second thing to remind ourselves is it says, born this day. This means this really happened. Now, maybe some of you have heard of the Jesus Seminar. I actually went to Northern Illinois University one time to listen to the guy who headed up the Jesus Seminar and understand he's the head of the theology department at DePaul University, a major Catholic university. Well, the Jesus Seminar is a gathering of liberal scholars who used colored pebbles to vote on whether or not the stories in the Gospels about Jesus are true. And when they came to the part of the story about Jesus and the virgin birth, they voted 24 to 1 against believing it. They said it never happened. Now that really shouldn't surprise you because there have been skeptics all the way down through history who attacked the biblical record. Notwithstanding those attacks, the Christian church has always professed to believe in the virgin birth. In fact, we often say that in our creeds, our affirmation of faith. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So when we read that unto you is born this day in the city of David, we need to remember that it points to something that's true. It's not a legend, it's not a myth, it's not a fairy tale. Everything in the biblical account of the birth of Jesus is true. There really was a baby born in Bethlehem, and this baby, even though it was human, was also the Son of God. Here's part three. It's the result of his coming. It's kind of the climax of the verse. It says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
That's just kind of interesting. If you had a Greek Bible and you opened it up, it doesn't really say a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All it really has are three words in a row. Savior, Christ, Lord. And each word, when you think about it, is really important. Savior is actually an Old Testament word that means one who delivers his people. Christ is that Greek version of the word Messiah, the Hebrew word, which means the anointed one. And Lord is a term for deity. It's kind of a synonym for God. Now you look at that. Do we not all need a Savior? Do we not all need a Messiah? Do we not all need a Lord? That's why when the birth of Jesus was to be, the angel came to Joseph and said, Give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The literal translation of the Greek there is given the name of Jesus because he will savior his people. He will be their savior. Now, a few days ago, I got a Christmas card from uh, a friend of mine who happens to be incarcerated at Louisiana State Prison in Angola. He's an inmate down there. He got himself into serious trouble when he was just a teenager. He was arrested, he was tried, he was convicted of first-degree murder. He is serving a life term in prison, and up to this point he's been in prison now for almost 20 years. Let me read to you just a little bit about what he wrote on his Christmas card. Dear Doc, many people had given up on me, but God never did, and I just wanted you to know that. I was told that I'd never amount to anything, but God says otherwise. I was told that I would find death in prison, but instead I found eternal life. I have been so overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of Christ. I have been given a wonderful peace that passes all understanding. I am absolutely convinced that, I, that had I not come to prison, my life would have been completely devastated beyond repair. It's now been almost 20 years of incarceration, and these years have been the most refreshing and enlightening years of my life. I am truly blessed beyond words. Thanks for being part of that journey with me. Merry Christmas. You know, when you read something like that, you kind of step away and you say, only the grace of God could enable a man in prison to talk like that. I mean, that's an example of why Christ came, to be a Savior, to be the Savior of someone who will turn to him no matter where they are, no matter what they've done. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the one sent from God. And see, that's the heart of the Christian message, the Christmas message. God loved us enough to do what? To send his one and only Son. I mean, think about it this way. He did not send a committee. He did not write a book about it. He didn't send a substitute. When God wanted to save this world... He sent his best. He sent his one and only son. And in, send, in sending Jesus, he literally sent himself, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, part four talks about the purpose of his coming. Our text has one final truth. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now, just think about those two words for a moment. Unto you. Now, I want you to pause and I want you to think for a moment and consider who was speaking and who they were speaking to when these words were said. 
See, when it was the shepherds who heard the angel speaking, was When the shepherds heard these words from an angel, they must have been absolutely flabbergasted. You know, we often forget that the shepherds were near the bottom of the social order in ancient Israel. They were often poor and uneducated, very often very young. They were not allowed to vote and they were not allowed to testify in court. And quite often, uh, they were some of the worst of the worst. Not many people would have selected Shepherd at career day in high school back in Bethlehem. I mean, there's a whole lot of easier ways to make a living in those days. So when the angel comes and says, to you is born, what the angel is really saying is Christ came for lowly shepherds. But what about those theologians back in Jerusalem? Who didn't, who did know, but didn't care. Well, he came for them too, but they missed it altogether. See, when Christ first came, nearly 2,000 years ago, his birth was first announced to the outcasts of society. They were the very first people to hear the good news of Christmas. I think it's interesting that the very first people who heard the good news about Christ being born were the lowest of the low. And the first people to tell everybody else that Jesus has ridden from the grave were people who were just barely above that level. They're called women. Isn't that interesting how God works things out? I think it's a great lesson to all of us. The Lord comes for the forgotten people of this world. And most of the time, they are the ones who receive him with the greatest joy. I'm going to make a personal, simple application for you. The angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I mean, think about that. Unto you. For you he came. And see, this is where Christmas becomes intensely personal. It's not enough to say, Well, I believe that Christ came into this world uh, for, for everyone. I mean, millions of people say that, but are still lost in their sins. It's not enough to say that Christ came for someone else. You can never be saved until you actually say, Christ came for me. Christ died for me. Christ rose from the dead for me. You understand that? He came for you. The question is, do you believe that? Now, when you receive a gift at Christmas time, what do you do with it? I gave Gage a Christmas present last night that looked something like this. What would you do with it? Opened it before church was over. That's how quick he wanted to get inside his present. What if you had never opened it? What if you would just taken it home, tossed it under the tree, maybe your mom or dad says, oh, here's a gift. You go, okay, and you went to your room and you just laid it on the shelf, and forgot about it. It's still a gift, but the gift would be absolutely useless. Well, 2,000 years ago, God sent a gift wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Jesus is God's Christmas gift to you, but you will never, ever experience Christmas joy until you personally receive that gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. When I preach and teach at Angola Prison, I often tell the men that there are many kinds of prisons, and not all of them have guards with guns. 
Some prisons are inside human hearts where people are held captive by their own sin. And some people inside prison are free, while some people outside prison are imprisoned by their own self-destructive behavior. So friends, on this Christmas Day, 2011, I'm here to remind you that Christ came to save you from your sin. He came to save me from my sin. But even his death on the cross cannot save you or me until you and I believe in him. If you know those two things personally, you know the best news in the whole world. That a Savior has been born for you. And he is Christ the Lord. That's why we sang, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. Please stand and join.